everybody. Welcome to Coach's Corner. So I have a really important episode talking about grief. Now, I know this isn't a super popular thing to talk about, but it's a really important thing to talk about because grief isn't just the loss of someone. We don't just grieve when someone dies. We grieve when we lose anything, a dream, an aspect of our health, a relationship, a career, money. Grief is something that all of us will experience at some point in our life, but not all of us will actually go through it and get to the other side of it and really leverage the post-traumatic growth that can happen from grief. And grief, as our podcast guest explains today, isn't just a single emotion. It's the process. It's the whole process that we go through after the loss of anything. So joining me today is Krista St. Germain. She's a master certified life coach, post-traumatic growth and grief expert, widow mom and host of the Widowed Mom podcast. You'll hear her story in the interview of what brought her to this work. And I'd like to thank my sponsor for the show, which is Organifi, my favorite place to get all kinds of yummy, nutritious things. Today, I want to talk to you about their Organifi Gold. This is an alternative to melatonin. Maybe some of you take melatonin to relax, to go to sleep, which is great, but how about something that's super delicious? Organifi Gold is this awesome turmeric powder mixed with all kinds of other yummy stuff, different mushrooms and adaptogens and all kinds of yummy stuff that you can put in your almond milk, your coconut milk, your regular milk, whatever, heat it up and just savor it. It's so, so yummy and it really can help you with sleep struggles. It's a great melatonin alternative. You know, melatonin has a half-life, so for some of us, it can leave us feeling a little groggy the next day. Instead, if you're looking for something to just relax you, help you with sleep, help a little with inflammation and that just tastes really, really good, Go to Organifi.com slash over it, get your turmeric gold. Well, they don't call it turmeric gold. They call it just gold. (laughs) I call it turmeric gold because it has so much yummy turmeric in it. And add it to your cart and you get 20% off as my listener using the promo code over it. All right. And now on to my conversation with Krista. <laughs> okay. And five years later, we're yeah, going to have a yeah, podcast exactly, episode. Exactly. Exactly. My uh, child will be driving. Okay. Right. So I'm going to go back to the question um, sure. or the statement of, you know, when you're grieving, people, they just really don't know what to say to you when you have a loss like that. Yeah. Yeah. And they said all kinds of well intended, but wacky things. Yeah. Yeah. I went through a, a pregnancy loss and, People would say things to me like, oh, it wasn't the soul's time. And like, you'll get pregnant again. And like, it just wasn't meant to be. And, you know, and, and all of those things were probably true. Well, well, many of them were true. I did get pregnant again, have a baby, but at the time, not helpful. No, wasn't helpful at all. So a lot of people listening may have someone that they care about who is grieving. What was helpful to you when you were Mm -hmm. going through that process? You know, first, first, I think what helps just a little bit is to kind of understand why people say those things. And then that kind of shines a light on why the opposite of that works. So to me, the reason people say things like that is because they don't have the skill, the capacity, the history of being able to allow 
other people to feel bad. They they don't know how to feel okay when other people around them don't feel okay. So the the answer to their discomfort around our discomfort is to try to talk us out of it, mm-hmm. right? To try to help us find the silver lining because if we feel better, then they know what to do with us. Right. So what was most helpful for me were the people who didn't try to change how I felt, who didn't need me to feel better so that they could be okay. And so things like, I'm so sorry this happened. I love you. This sucks. I'm here with you, right? I'm with you. And they were just literally witnesses to my experience and they didn't try to change me. They didn't need me to be different. They just loved me and all of the pain that I was feeling. They didn't Mm. see it as a problem to solve. Mm. I think that's so true. That's such an important thing for all all of us to remember is that some people are uncomfortable with their feelings. So they're uncomfortable with our feelings. So they will try to talk us out of it. And although I do believe that uh, on many levels, there is a reason for everything. And, you know, life is full of many seasons and we often get to the other side of difficult ones, but when we're in it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't help to try to find the silver lining. Pep talks don't help when we're in grief and loss, not at all. Love, empathy, being there, just holding, holding space for the bigness of the feelings. That's, that's one thing that I noticed when I was grieving is I just felt like people were uncomfortable with it, or I didn't have a right to grieve as much as I did because it was a pregnancy loss, not like a loss of a person that had been born, but to me, it felt really massive. And so I was alone a lot. I just retreated a lot, which really wasn't super healthy because I I needed some people around me at times. So what advice do you have for people who may be going through grief? And, And it doesn't necessarily have to mean the death of someone. It could be the grief of losing a relationship or a dream or whatever it is. And they notice themselves just retreating because the people around them just aren't stepping up in the way that they really need, or they don't know how to ask for help, but they know that retreating into isolation probably isn't a great idea either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so common too. And I'm, I'm grateful that you pointed out that it isn't always about losing someone, right? It's helpful just to kind of broaden our definition of grief and remember that it really is just the natural human response to a perceived loss and perception really is in the eye of the beholder. So what I perceive as a loss will be different than what you perceive as a loss. And that in part is, is a big reason why sometimes it's difficult for other people to support us because they don't necessarily perceive our loss to be as impactful as it has been, right? Disenfranchised grief, I think, isn't talked about enough, you know, where for instance, as you said, losing a pregnancy. Um, Some people have thoughts that that shouldn't be as hard as it is. That doesn't mean that it isn't valid. So if you can't ask for what you want, my suggestion is you, you continue advocating for yourself until you find the kind of support that you want. Even if you, even if that means broadening your social circle, we live in the computer age now, right? There is no loss that you can't find support for out there if you're willing to look. Mm. And I think that can be really powerful just to find people who have experienced something that is similar to what you have experienced, even if they are, they are not people you've ever met before. So much power in that. I think it's a huge thing that the people that I work with get out of the work that I do, right? Because I work exclusively with widowed moms and most widowed moms that I know don't know other widowed moms in real life. Yeah, It's incredibly helpful to meet other people who are having a similar experience because so much of what we're going through 
it's common, but we don't know it's common. And so we tend Mm. to make it mean something bad about us. We tend to judge ourselves or believe that we aren't handling it the way that we should, or that we shouldn't be struggling the way that we are. And then when we see other people share in that experience, we go, Oh, it's not just me. It's grief, right? This is grief. Yeah. Yeah. How would you define grief? I just think of it as an umbrella term. I know a lot of people think of grief as an emotion. I think of it as an umbrella term for all the thoughts, all the feelings, all the expressions of that, right? The ways that we act in response to the loss. So to mm-hmm. me, it's a, it's a much bigger experience yeah. and it includes all of the emotions. It's not just negative emotion, yeah. right? It's, it's all of it. It's what do we think about what has happened and what does that mean to us and how do we feel about it? And then what do we do with that? Yeah. Yeah. You talk about something called the dual process model of grief. What is that? The dual process model of grief is one of my favorites. Again, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of grief theories and this one classifies types of actions as either loss related or restoration related. And sometimes I think people get stuck in this idea that in order to make progress in grief, they need to be thinking about their loss all the time. And that if they aren't thinking about it, that maybe they aren't doing it right. And so I love the dual process model of grief because what it teaches is that really the healthy balance is to be found when we actually go back and forth. So we give some time to processing the feelings and thinking about the loss and kind of grief related loss related activities. But then we give ourselves a respite from that. And we go into the restorative activities, right? Where we're intentionally doing things that that take us away from thinking about our loss or feeling about our loss. We do things that are maybe completely unrelated. We find hobbies, we laugh, um, and then we go back again. So it's just this nice back and forth. It's much, it's much more easeful. Um, and it's just like kind of how, you know, when you're in the shower and your best ideas come to you and you're not really Mm -hmm. thinking of it, healing happens in the same way. Just because you aren't thinking about your loss doesn't mean good things aren't happening. And dual process theory teaches that. Did you ever have guilt in the time shortly after Hugo died, if you were happy? Yes. Mm. Yeah. I had guilt. Yeah. For several reasons. I had guilt because of what I told myself about where I parked the car. Right. Mm. I, I told myself I should have pulled up further on the highway that I should have had that tire checked before we took the trip. I should have insisted we call triple a, like I had a lot of should thoughts in my brain about how I had done it wrong. So I definitely felt guilt for my actions. And then later, yes, when I, I would catch myself being happy, sometimes my immediate judgment would be, does that mean I, am I doing it wrong? Does that mean I didn't love him enough? I would make it mean something it didn't need to mean. Mm. Mm. How did you give yourself permission to start feeling joy again? Well, sometimes I just felt it and I didn't have to work at it. Mm. I think I reminded myself that truly, I mean, nothing went unsaid between the two of us. Like he, he was the most joyful person. He would not have wanted me to be sad forever. He really mm-hmm. wouldn't have. So it was easy for me to kind of hear his voice cheering me along and encouraging me to live and to be happy. And he was a very uh, alive and vibrant person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had that going. 
And then also, I just think I saw the unusefulness of that experience and what it was doing to me, Mm. right? That it just wasn't leading anywhere productive. It wasn't helping me be the kind of mom that I wanted to be. It wasn't helping me live the life that I wanted to live. And I could just kind of see it as optional at a certain point. Yeah. Yeah. How, how did you mom while also grieving your husband? Well, thankfully I had a lot of support mm. truly. And I see so many women who don't. So I'm so grateful that I did. I did a lot of modeling that it's okay to feel your feelings. I had already, I think a lot of your listeners probably relate, right? Like lifetime lifetime interest in all the self-help and all of the personal development materials. So I had had tapping emotional freedom technique as a tool that I had had known for probably 10 years before he died. I've just known about it for a long time. And so I had also used that with my children when they were very little to help process their emotions. So I did a lot of that and I also did it with them mm-hmm. and helped them tap. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember my son he was nine at the time and wasn't very long after Hugo died. And I was putting him to bed one night and he, he said, mommy, he said something about, you know, if, if a, if a plane comes crashing down, he had some scenario in his mind that it could happen, right? If a plane comes crashing down and uh, you die. I hope that I only die a few seconds after you die so that I don't ever have to live without you. Oh, it just burst into tears, right? His, his big realization when Hugo died wasn't that he lost Hugo as much as it was that he realized that people could die, right? Mm-hmm. That people he loved could be taken. And so thankfully I had the wherewithal at that time to not try to tell him, you know, it's never going to happen. I'm always going to be here. You know, none of that uh, unreasonable, unrealistic nonsense that a lot of times we as parents want to tell our children, you don't, don't, you don't have to worry but that to start instilling in him that right now he's safe, that I love him very much. And, you know, that it's okay to have feelings about these kinds of things and, Mm -hmm. but to not try to change his feelings either and not try to turn them into problems to fix. And so I think I just role modeled that and, and, and kept making it okay to talk about it and think about it and and have whatever feelings we felt without needing to change or hide or pretend such an important thing to do with our kiddos, with all people, but especially our kiddos. Yeah. Because when we hide our emotions from them, well, they can feel it. So we can't really hide it. <laughs> yeah. And so. he, that, that one, I, I, he's always been literally since coming out of the womb, he has been very interested in knowing that I am okay. Yeah. And he's incredibly sensitive to me. He's like, mommy, Mommy, I want to make you happy. Are you happy? Mommy, are you happy? Oh. And so I've always been been telling him since he's a little kid. Listen, buddy, it's, it's you know, it's okay that mommy's not happy and it's not your job to make mommy's happy. You know, mom, it's mommy's job. Mommy, the mommy's the only one that can make mommy happy. Um, but I just saw that again, you know, show itself. Uh yeah. again. Yeah. In a deeper yeah. Way. Oh. We're all so sensitive. You know, it, it's so obvious as kiddos and then as adults, we have our masking techniques and there's ways that we numb and reduce our sensitivity because it just, it gets hard to get to be so sensitive because our hearts just hurt. So we yeah. just put, put walls up and that can definitely happen after our 
a loss of any kind. Absolutely. So if someone's listening right now and, and they're aware that, wow, I lost a person or I lost a dream or I lost a relationship or maybe, you know, something re- regarding their health and they know that they've just shut down. They know they've just closed their heart because they don't want to experience more loss. Because sometimes that's what we do. It's like, this was too painful. I don't want to experience more loss. So I'm just going to protect myself by completely shutting down. Mm -hmm. One, I'm curious, do you see that a lot in your practice and in your work? And two, how can we shift that to make it safe to open our hearts again to love and to opportunity? I do see it. I don't typically see it as, as strongly as you worded it as in a complete shutdown. Sometimes what I see is just a real fear around mm-hmm. feelings. And, and because I'm working a lot with you know women who are now solo parenting, the fear, because they don't come to me knowing how to allow their feelings to pass, the fear is that it's like, if I go that way, if I, if I open that door, I'm going to fall down a hole and I'm never coming back, right? I'm not going to be able to parent and allow myself to feel this. It's going to swallow me. Right. And, and so to that, it really is, of course, we don't have to do anything immediately. There's no rush ever. And also when you're ready and you want to learn the skill of allowing feelings, what you, what people typically find is that it's the dread of the feelings. It's the resistance to the feelings that makes them so much more awful. The actual allowing the feelings to pass is way better than we think it's going to be. But of course, if we don't have this skill, then you know, we wouldn't have that confidence around it. So I I totally understand the fear. What I see though, more than just a, an outright refusal to feel is more of a gradual kind of shrinking. So I, I like to think about it. So if we stack all the emotions in order by vibration, right? So lowest to highest, least desirable to most desirable, What I see happen is that in order to protect ourselves from feeling the lowest emotions, we often start playing smaller in a a few different ways, but we start taking less risk. We start maybe isolating a little bit more. Maybe we start using different behaviors to kind of numb the feelings away. We start doing things that, yes, they, they lessen the impact of the negative emotion or the intensity of the negative emotion is probably a better way to say it but also they lessen our ability to feel what's at the top of that scale. So instead of having the rich human experience, which includes the full scale, we then get stuck in this, I call it the stagnation zone in the middle where it's not awful, but it's also not great. And it's Mm -hmm. just kind of meh. It's empty. It's hollow. It's stale. It's static. And And it's so sad to me because while I understand why it happens, I hate that people don't know how to get out of it and then kind of declare it their new normal and just assume that this is their, their, their new going forward emotional experience because of the loss, Mm. right? When that is not what is available to them, but that's what I see. It's just like, I look like I'm doing okay, but I, I don't but I guess this is my new normal. And right. we resign, we resign right. ourselves to that stagnation. Yeah. Yeah. And we think it's safety, but it's really stagnation. What are some ways out of that? Yeah. 
nobody likes me when I say this. I know, but you will get it right. You, we have to, if we really want to get out of it, we've got to be willing to change our relationship with emotions. We've got to be willing to consider that we could let them flow through and that they can't actually hurt us. And I think there are different techniques to do that, but that's the bottom line is, can I get myself to a place where through experience, I don't believe feelings are problems to solve. I just see them as experiences to allow and I get good at it. And then I realize, oh, these, these feelings that I have made the boogeyman under the bed can't actually hurt me. I can live again. Yeah. 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 And I can lose again too. That yeah, was a huge thing. Which is living again, right? Is taking, yeah. is taking the chance that we're going to lose again because they do yeah. go hand in hand. Yep. I mean, after my first marriage, I had to proclaim that, you know, it's like, okay, I could get divorced again. I could get my heart broken again. You know, it was trying to get pregnant again. It was like, this could happen. You know, you just, but the other choice was to go into stagnation and to never really open fully to what I really desire and dream. Do you, and maybe you don't have to answer this this too personal of a question, but do you feel like your heart is open to love again? Or maybe you already are in another relationship again. Yeah, actually I am in a relationship. So Hugo died in August of 2016. And for the first three years, I wanted nothing to do with dating. It seemed like work. It seemed like possible pain. Like I just really was not interested, but I think I did enough of this on myself. I, I got myself to a place where I believed I didn't need anything outside of me to genuinely love my life again. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, a couple of years ago, I decided to start dating and now I am in a partnered relationship and we live together and I'm, I'm very happy in that relationship. It's very different than mm-hmm. the one I had with Hugo, but it's very, it's a very healthy, happy one too. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. And I love that you knew now is not the time. Cause that's another thing. Sometimes we try to get over a grief by substituting it with something else, yeah. which is not a healthy way to, to do it. It's, it's giving ourselves the time and space to feel, to really feel. And, and I also love what you said about grief, that it's not just an emotion. It's the whole process that you go through. It really is an initiation in so many ways and it, there's no timeline on it and exactly. there's and no steps. As like I know they're like, yeah. Yeah. Like I wouldn't have said that initially, but as I look back on it now, I very much see the opportunity that it presents right? Especially because at least for me, and I was 40, kind of going through life on autopilot and not really giving a whole lot of thought to what I valued and what I wanted, just kind of going through the motions of, I mean, yes, I was married and happy there, but you know, just going to work and doing the things and, and, you know, checking off the to-dos and not really very in touch with what I valued and what I wanted. Mm. And there's nothing like losing a spouse or, you know, having a significant loss that makes you go, uh, wait a minute. Okay. If life is this precarious, am I doing what I want to do? Am I making the impact I want to make? Is this how I want to spend my day? Yeah. You know, and really giving yourself the opportunity to, to throw anything you've created away and recreate what you want Mm. is powerful. I'm great. Cause you weren't coaching. Before oh, no, not at all. No, I honestly, at that point, I thought coaching was, I had some very negative ideas about what coaching was. <laughs> a lot of people do. Yeah. Oh, I want to talk about pushing closure after mm. traumatic things happen, mm-hmm. like the death of someone or breakups or getting fired or whatever. What can we do instead of pushing quote unquote closure? Well, so I like to think about it like back it up a little bit. Like, what do we even think closure is? 
right? And why do we want it? So what I have seen is that usually what we think closure is, is we think it tends to be some sort of information. So for instance, uh, you know, I've, I've got a client whose spouse died by suicide. You know, maybe there was information that they didn't have that they wanted to have. And so what they will tell themselves is that without that information, they can't have closure, which to me means there's something I need outside of me in order to feel peace, right? In order to feel a way that I want to feel. And that is where I feel like we, the logic breaks down, right? We, it, it, of course, we're humans. We want to feel particular ways, but the reason we feel the way we do isn't because of what happens outside of us, right? It's because of what we decide to believe. So as long as we hold ourselves hostage to missing information and we tell ourselves that without that information, we can't feel peace, we're in trouble, right? But, but what if we actually could be okay with not knowing, right? And mm. that, that to me is the work of closure, mm. is, is really examining why we want it in the first place and then where it actually comes from so that we realize we have more power than we think. Mm. We really do. We really, really do. Let's talk about post-traumatic growth because that, in so many ways, that's where you are today, that mm-hmm. your business, your passion is a result of post-traumatic growth. And and some people may know what that term means, but others may not. So can you start out with defining it and, sure. and talk about what, you know, we're on the, we're on the, the theme of opportunity, what an opportunity it presents. Yeah. I remember hearing the term and it was kind of like the record scratched and you're like, wait, what post, what, who, where, (laughs) right. Post-traumatic growth. So it's, it's a term coined by a couple of researchers. Their last names are Tedeschi and Calhoun. And they coined that term in the mid nineties. And before their work, it was kind of thought that after something traumatic. And at that point we kind of thought trauma was like an objective list of things, right? So like there were certain things that were traumatic as opposed to trauma being about perception, but neither here nor there. What was thought was that you would have this level of, of wellness that you were experiencing before the trauma. And then the trauma would happen and your wellness would dip down. And the goal would be to get back to the level of wellness or life satisfaction that you were experiencing before the loss. Like that was the best you could hope for. Right. And so their work started finding that that wasn't actually representative of the experience that a lot of people were having, that some people were going through something that they experienced as traumatic. And then later they were reporting that they were actually experiencing greater levels of life satisfaction Mm -hmm. and wellness. And so they started digging into that. Like, why is that? Right. And so what we now know is that we actually can take what's happened to us and use it right? Use it to inform our choices, use it to inform the way that we think so that we experience something that is even more of what we want. And in a few key categories, right? So relationships with other people can be spiritual relationships, can be satisfaction in terms of, you know, how we spend our time and what we do, just generally living more of the life that we want to live because of the experience that we've been through. Mm. I think so many people can raise their hand to that. <laughs> so many people probably are listening to this podcast because they experience some post-traumatic growth or are in it. Yeah. And I think what's important, and, and you've highlighted this several times, is we can't experience it unless we actually go through the feelings that often come with trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We can't skip and- over. We can't spiritually bypass to have the kind of growth you're talking about. 
100%. And I also see people getting stuck because they will make greater life satisfaction after an event, especially if it was a death loss. They will, they tend to hold themselves back from that because they make it mean something that it doesn't need to mean. Right. Mm. So like, what does it mean if I, if I love my life now more than I did with my husband? Well, what does that mean? Right. Right. And I like to think about it like, you know, so in the accident, I I drove a a Camry before the accident, after the accident, I decided to get a, get a Chrysler Pacifica, right? Had two teenage kids. I'm toting a cello. I have learned that I would like a bigger car. I have learned that I would like a heated steering wheel. Like I have, I have learned some things right from driving that Camry. I learned some things. And so I made a different choice in the future. Is my choice to to buy that Pacifica? Does that mean anything about the Camry? No. Right? Mm. It's not a slight on the life that I had before. It's, mm. it's, now I have learned some things and I'm applying that knowledge. Mm. Mm. I love that. Um, as we wrap up here, I want to talk about distraction. <laughs> mm. <laughs> because I, a lot of people may not even know that they're, they need to grieve. Mm-hmm. Or they might think a loss wasn't that big of a deal. They kind of might just be either getting on to the next thing or distracting them. So what's what's healthy distraction? And when are we really just checking out from our grief? Yeah, first of all, I think it's okay to check out from your grief, right? Mm-hmm. So going back to dual process theory, it it's actually can be valuable to do that on purpose. <laughs> just give yourself mm-hmm. permission to put it down and do something else. And so sometimes I think checking out gets a bad rap and we, and we really want to, we want to check that it Mm -hmm. it actually can be okay. And it isn't as though there is a list of activities or coping mechanisms that are good and, or bad. It's really more a matter of what is the overall impact of what I am doing to avoid my feelings creating in my life. So like sometimes I will see widows who they will start to travel a lot and they're having a lot of fun traveling and people are praising them for how they're living their lives and getting out there. But at a certain point, they might realize that, oh, if I stop traveling, like I can feel it coming. If I slow Mm -hmm. down, I'm going to get overwhelmed, right? The feelings Mm -hmm. are coming for me. I don't, I'm afraid to stop traveling. And that's what we want to be on to ourselves about. It's not the activity that we use to avoid our emotions that's good or bad. It's mm-hmm. what is it creating in our lives? And is that what we want? Mm-hmm. Right? Because we can kind of keep kicking the can, which is what I did it with work. I'm just going to distract myself with work. I'm going to stay busy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then yeah. at a certain point you realize, Ooh, those feelings, they're, they're waiting for me. I, I, I don't yeah. have the skill of allowing them to pass. Yeah. Which is why I don't want to slow down. Yep. We can depress them and ignore them for years, but they'll leak out some way. Mm-hmm. They, yeah. They or do. we use food or we use alcohol mm-hmm. or we use shopping mm-hmm. or, you know, we can yeah. do it with so many different things. And, and again, it's not about good or bad or right or wrong. It's just about, do you like the impact of what this is creating your life in the long term? Yeah. And it's totally okay to check out with intention, right? Let's like, let's do it with intention. Mm-hmm. As opposed to from fear. Mm. All right. Last question before we get to where people can find you and work with you. Mm-hmm. For someone right now that's really sitting in the seat of grief is a fresh loss of some kind. 
What do you want to say to them? Yeah. Your, your job is just to allow the feelings to pass and love yourself as they, as they do. Right. We don't need to change any of them. We don't need to try to convince ourselves of anything grand. It's just a matter of meeting yourself where you are. I kind of like to imagine there's just waves in the ocean and your job is to just kind of float. Right. And we don't have to, we don't have to do anything crazy. We just, we just need to be compassionate with ourselves and let the feelings flow through. Yeah. Yeah. And you won't be in this place forever. You definitely won't be in this place forever. And it's hard to imagine that, but it's very Mm -hmm. much true, right? I don't think that we don't want to say that time heals because in and of itself, it doesn't, (laughs) but but there are some, yeah, there are some things that the brain needs to do that require time. Yes. They don't necessarily require our conscious action. They just need to happen over time. Yes. And so we want to give, give some time for our brain and our body to do what it needs to do. Well said. Thank you so much, Krista. How can people connect with you if they want to learn more or potentially work with you? Yeah. So I have a, a podcast called the Widowed Mom Podcast. And even though it is very specific, I like to think that it's valuable for anyone who's interested in learning more about grief or post-traumatic growth. So that's always there. There are a few episodes that are designed to help people who are supporting someone through grief so they can look for those. I also have a podcast quiz that they can take. If you go to coachingwithkrista.com forward slash grief support, you'll find a podcast quiz and you can take that just based on where you are and what you're going through in grief, give you some useful episodes to listen to. And then all of of my connections are coachingwithkrista.com. You can find all my socials there. That is so great. I actually may use that idea, a podcast quiz. That's genius. Yeah, I the love more episodes, it. The more episodes you get, the more overwhelming it gets for people to I know. find what they need. I know. I, I found it to be really valuable. I know. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you, Krista. Thank you for saying yes to your post-traumatic growth. And thank you for the work that you do. I love that you have a very specific niche that you're working with because I think a lot of times we're afraid to niche when we have, when we're a coach, but the fact that you are and you have gives widowed moms, like a place to go to where they really know they're going to have a community and they're going to be working with someone that really knows the road they're walking. So just really honor the work that you're doing in the world. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thanks for being willing to talk about grief. It's not a subject that people really want to talk about. So I applaud you for being willing to talk. Well, that's the problem. We need to talk about these things. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Krista. 